so this morning, I've, um, I really felt the, the Holy Spirit speaking to me uh, and giving me a word for us, and then worship just ran in this vein, which is super exciting for me, because I love it when the, when the Holy Spirit confirms what He's already set out to do. And so this morning, I wanted to preach on this topic, and bear with me, um, I wanted to preach on when God feels far. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever felt that you are far from God? Thank you, Lord. That's helpful. (laughs) I don't have Eric's booming voice to overthrow the rain. When God feels far, and I felt specifically this morning, even if you're visiting, this is your first time, I want to say if, if this resonates with you, it's because the Lord wants to draw you near this morning. You find yourself here because He wants you near. God doesn't want you far this morning. And so I'd love to tell you a a, a portion of an amazing man's story. And this portion of his story is going to show you how feeling far from God can feel at times and how it can look. But actually, he, he shows us that through this, he actually draws near to God. And so it's, I just want to mention two simple things this morning. This is not a profound preach that you've never heard. This is not an amazing thing. This is a word from the Spirit of God where He wants to draw near those who feel far away. Can we close our eyes quickly? I just, even as I'm sharing, I see this picture of um, someone with like a bronze ceiling over them. Even as I'm sharing with you, you're just like, Holy Spirit, right now, by your power, would you soften hearts? Well, we have hardened our hearts, or where our hearts have been hardened through pain, would you come and soften our hearts? I ask that the seed would not fall on rocky soil, but on good soil. Amen. And so this part of the story, I, I want to talk about King David this morning, the greatest king who ever ruled Israel. He, um, he was Israel's greatest king. They were never as successful without him. S- uh, Solomon might have had more wisdom and more wealth, but David was the pinnacle of the kingdom of Israel. And there is this journey, and, and David, out of the, the line of David comes Jesus. And so David is not just a story about a real king, and you must remember this. This is not a bedtime story. This is not a made-up event so that you would enjoy it. This is a real story about a real king and what he went through as he became king. Okay? Because sometimes when we read the story of David, everyone's like, oh yeah, that imaginary story about that little shepherd boy who swung a sling and did amazing. This is a real encounter of what really happened. And if God does it and did it for David, he wants to do it for you. Okay, and so this part of the story is, is a specific slice out of David's life, and, I, and so it's not the whole story, please, it's not, it's not, I'm not talking about the shepherd boy to how it ended, I wanted to show you a specific part of his life, because I feel like that's where some of us are this morning, and so it starts with, in 1 Samuel 18, David, this young little shepherd boy who wants to please the Lord, he goes out and he slays this massive Goliath in front of everyone. And I want you to know something. Instantly, he was trending on Instagram. Hashtag five stones. Hashtag slingshot. 
Everybody would have wanted a selfie. Everybody wanted one to be, but David just did the impossible. And do you know why people celebrated David's victory? Because it was their victory. It wasn't just that David did something amazing. David did something amazing, and it set us free. He killed Goliath, and then that enabled us to conquer the Philistines. And everybody, can you imagine, this is what would happen when you wipe out an army, everybody's money grew. Everybody's investment took off. Everybody that was a part of the kingdom, their kingdom grew with David's victory. So people loved him. David was literally bringing people into more for their life. Everybody got more land. Everybody got, that's what would happen when an army would win. And so everybody is celebrating David. He is the hero. The, the servant girls sing about him. Saul has slain his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. And so David, and at this point, can I ask you, who feels like David is very close to God at that moment? Just me. Okay, you should read your Bible. We often associate success with nearness to God. Yo, this is the pinnacle of David's life. God must be right with him. He was, literally. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him when he killed him. And so in 1 Samuel 18 verse 5, it says, And whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people in Saul's offices. Everybody celebrated with David. Everybody wanted what was so amazing for him. And so what happens is, very quickly, David gets promoted. And as he gets promoted, this all starts to unravel. Just as he does the most amazing thing, and it says this in 1 Samuel 18 verse 10, the very next day, and your theology might struggle here, so we're gonna, we'll take two minutes to explain it. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and suddenly he hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him. Here's the miracle. Twice. That means after the first time, he went back again. And so what happens is, after David and this whole victory and everything, it says the Lord withdrew his presence from Saul. He rejected Saul, and he put his spirit on David. And it says the very next day, actually, when God removed his, his spirit from Saul, he allowed a tormenting spirit to come over Saul. The stuff that Saul had given himself to, visiting mediums, inquiring of the dead, the very stuff that was in Saul, and so the Lord allowed this tormenting spirit to torment Saul. <clears throat> but do you know what the, the, the scary part is? Saul was David's hero. David didn't want to overthrow Saul. David didn't want to take the kingdom from Saul. Saul was actually David's hero. And so what happens is, this is where the journey starts for him. Can you imagine? He has this incredible, it's like Elijah playing for Nick. And Elijah would come to Nick's house and play the guitar for him. And he loves Nick and he wants to be like Nick. And Nick is this amazing youth leader. And Elijah wants to be an amazing youth leader. And he aspires to be like Nick and have a bark like Nick. And it's true. And he holds Nick in such high regard. And then just like that, it's like Nick tries to take him out. And his dreams are crushed. 
And the man that he was aspiring to, the king in his house, remember how David holds Saul, the Lord's anointed. In a moment, can you, the, the, the man that he looked up to, the father figure that gave him promotion when his own father overlooked him, tries to kill him. Can you imagine the father wound that gets triggered there? And so Saul tries to kill him in person, and then he does one better. David keeps coming back. And so Saul goes from blatantly trying to kill him to vindictively trying to kill him. So he does this in 1 Samuel 18 verse 17. One day Saul said to David, I'm ready to give you my older daughter as your wife because there was a prize for whoever killed Goliath that they could have his daughter as their wife. But first you must prove yourself, I mean, as if killing a giant is enough. Saul's trying to kill him and now Saul wants to, he wants to hurt David, so watch what he does. But first you must prove yourself as a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. So not only does this guy try and kill him, and he can't, then he realizes, okay, cool, I'll let the Philistines kill him. So I will send him into battles that are unwinnable. The odds will be forever against him, not Hunger Games. Odds forever in your favor. Guys, it's a Hunger Games reference. You're supposed to laugh. And so David, and every impossible situation David goes into, he wins. And so he becomes actually more and more amazing. So Saul does this in 1 Samuel 18, 19. And at the last moment, so it says, So when the time came for Saul to give his daughter to Merib in marriage to David, he gave her instead to Adriel, a man, not even an Israelite. So David goes, he, he fights these impossible battles. He's doing all that the Lord has asked him to do. He's doing all that the king has asked him to do. And still, he loses his love. Have you ever felt like, I'm even doing everything that God is asking of me. And still, it feels like he's not on my side. Still, things aren't going my way. I'm doing everything and I'm still, it's still not working out. David felt like that for sure. Great God, this Saul, right? So 1 Samuel 18 verse 21. So Saul gives his daughter away, and then he says this. So here is another chance to see David killed by the Philistines because he saw that his other daughter had fallen in love with David. And he knew this daughter. You know, like fathers know our daughters. He knew that this daughter would, would not be a blessing to David because of what she liked and what she looked for. And you'll see this later on in her life too. And so he said, when he's found out that Michal, his daughter, had this affection for David, he thought, here's another chance to see him killed by the Philistines. So Saul said to himself, but to David, he said, today you have a second chance to become my son-in-law. <laughs> this, this is the type of father-in-law you want, right? Here's your second chance to prove yourself. You've done everything and more that I've asked you to do, even the impossible. So here's your second chance for me to give you the wife that you don't actually want. <laughs> and so he gives him this impossible task. He says, I want you to go and kill a hundred Philistines. And instead of sending him with an army against an army, he, he, David has his men, but he says, I want you to go and get me a hundred foreskins. And everyone's like, okay. Same, same yesterday, I was like, babe. I'm struggling with this. <laughs> like, why? 
Do you know why? There's actually a reason for this. Do you know why? It was because otherwise he could have, if it wasn't that, if it was another souvenir, he could have gone to other people. But this guaranteed that he would have to go against the Philistines. And so what he wanted to do is, Saul wants to not just send David on an impossible mission, he wants to send him on an impossible mission that will put a target over him for the rest of his life. That he's killed the Philistines and he has done sacrilege to their bodies. Literally. And you're going to see why he does this. So that the Philist, so now Saul is trying to set up enemies against David for the rest of David's life too. So Saul wants to kill him. And he wants the Philistines to forever want to kill him. This is a great father-in-law. This is the guy you want. Some of us are like, I've got that father-in-law. No, you didn't. So in 1 Samuel 18 verse 29, this is Saul's amazing response to when David comes back and pays the diary of basically a life sentence. But Saul became even more afraid of him. And he changes his heart posture. And he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. That is like, for David, that is distraught. The man that he wanted to be like. When Samuel anointed him as king, David didn't want to take the throne from Saul. He thought he would be the next to get the throne from Saul. So he wanted to be like Saul. And so we move on further in our, and so in 1 Samuel 19 verse 10, and it says, again, this is the third time, guys. This guy has clearly not learned his lesson. Father wound is showing. And so Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out the way. This oak is obviously very like, steps like Cheslin Colby tonight. Um, and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. And so, so now, this is what, now this is how the story is going, and I'm getting there fast. He loses everything of what he thought he had. Everything that he actually thought God had promised him. His circumstances look like he's not getting nowhere near the throne. The king is trying to kill him. Then the king sets him up for failure for the rest of his life. Then he leaves the palace. This, when David flees from the palace here... Historically, he only comes back 15 years later. His journey to become king has begun. And I can, who at this point feels like David must have felt like, oh man, God is with me. I'm running for my life. Running from the palace. The place where I felt called. The thing that I felt and other people prophesied of me, that's my future. He's running from it for his life. Do you, do you think he felt like, oh, surely God is for me. Yoo-hoo. Hell no. David is running for his life, fleeing. And he goes to his wife, um, Michal, this amazing wife that Saul had basically double agent. You see, you think Marvel's got a great storyline. This is even better. So he goes home and she hears that Saul is trying to kill David. So she comes and warns him. And there's so many interesting facts about this story. I'm not going to go into all of it. But one of them is that she gets David out the house just in time. And she puts an idol in the bed and a tuft of goat hair so it looks like him. Why is there an idol in David's house? Like, that's an interesting question. And so she puts this idol in the house and David leaves. And then when Saul comes and says, why did you do this? His wife. So first of all, his, his leader, his father figure, his king, his aspiration fails him. 
Then his own wife says, no, no, no. He, he said he'd kill me if I didn't set him free. His own wife throws him under the bus. And so David runs. And this is where the story gets interesting because um, there's only one place to run if you're a fleeing future king of Israel. And that's to the Philistines. The people that have a mark over your head. The people that you've done sacrilege to their soldiers. You've, you've done the worst of the worst to them. And now David has to flee to the place that... Do you think in this moment it felt for David like he was walking in all of God's promises? Do you think he woke up in the morning feeling like... You know those mornings where you wake up and you're like, Oh, God is so near me right now. Like, oh. No. He's not even in the promised land. He's got to flee. And so there's a whole psalm written. Psalm 50, I find it in worship. Psalm 50-something. It's 51, I think. It's when David writes a psalm when he was seized in Gath. And so what happens is David runs to the Philistines and they capture him. And this is when David, his moment to shine comes out and he, and he steps into all that God has called him to do. And it says this. And David heard these comments that they were saying about him in 1 Samuel 21, 12, and was very afraid of what King Achish of Gath might do to him. So he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. This feels like your calling of God, doesn't it? Being all that God has called you to be, scratching on doors and drooling like a madman. Finally, King Achish said to his men, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? And so David, at that, can you imagine from the heights of which he has fallen? Everywhere David went was like, woo, there's David, our Savior, the one who kills Goliath, the one who does amazing things. I think the temptation would be in those moments of success to feel like, this is God's plan for my life. This is exactly where I need to be. I'm doing everything right. Every, you, you almost develop a self-righteousness. Can it feel like this for us in our lives when things are going according to the plan? It's like, man, you get that job promotion and that bond gets approved and that house lines up and then the petrol price goes up and you get a petrol card and like everything just goes according to plan for you. Like your family's doing well, your kids are online, everything is just... Wow, and it's just like, man, I'm so close to God right now because my life is just going according to how I wanted it to go. But then, then what happens when God feels so far? I can imagine that when David is foaming at the mouth, pawing at the door like a dog, I don't think in that moment, if that was me, he'd be going, oh, I'm so close to God right now, doing all that he's asked me to do. But actually, David's response is very different. I've just untied my lace. Sorry, one sec. Pause break. Once, and my shoelace came untied, and somebody got up and tied it. It was the most awkward thing ever. So that's why I tied it, before somebody runs up and ties my shoelace. And so there is a psalm that David writes. There is, so if, if you are a musician, you will understand this. If you are not a musician, I will explain for you. 
If you listen to most music that is written other than modern day rap, which has got no inspiration from anything, <laughs> most music comes out of a place of where you're at, even secular music. It'll be like, oh, this girl broke my heart and now I'm writing a song about it and everybody else is like, oh, our heart's also broken and we love this song. Or, or like Oliver Anthony, he wrote this big country song and the song is about how America's doing in the middle class man and, and the whole of America is like, yes, this is our man, this is our hero. And so out of where we're at inside, that's when songs come out of. So that's how the songwriter's process goes. So if you want to start writing songs, that's how it works. And um, so David writes a psalm after, and it specifically says that this psalm was written after David had to act crazy in Achish. And so I want you to hear how David perceived his relationship with God after he's lost everything and after it would feel like God is far from him and wants nothing to do with him. Okay. Psalm 34, and I'd love it if you, I'm going to just take a few verses out, I'd love it if during this week you go and read it for yourself, and read it through your eyes. Psalm 34, verse 1 to 3, he says, I will praise the Lord at all times. Like, wait, are, are you sure this is, isn't this the psalm he wrote after, after, after Goliath? You know, after, when things are going well, isn't that when we praise the Lord at all times? Isn't that when our church attendance is at its highest? Isn't that when our, our giving, our generosity, our, our faith for God, isn't that when it's at its best, when we're doing our best? Now David says, in his worst moment of acting delusional, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak His praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are hopeless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt His name together. Like, what? Verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Can I tell you something? Do you know what David found? David found that even when your circumstance might feel like God is so far away, God is very near to the brokenhearted. That actually sometimes when you are at your worst, God is at His closest. And this morning you might have come here feeling like God is so far from me. My life makes it feel like God is so far from me. I want to tell you this morning that God is near to you. There is only two reasons why you can feel separated from God. And I want to quickly touch on those. And the one is what the Lord is highlighting this morning sin. And it's the obvious one. Because do you know that sin doesn't force God away from you. Sin pushes you away from God. Sin doesn't make God go, ugh. I remember feeling like that as a father when babies are so cute. And we had one at a stage. And they would get these sift block noses. 
And do you know what the most stiff thing about a baby with a blocked nose is? I don't know why, but God did not give them the ability to just blow the thing. And so we had to get this, oh, I want to upchuck. We had to get this little thing that used to suck the snot out of baby's nose. Uh, you get the squeegee one, right? That's still SIF because you, actually it's like a little snot container. That's not the SIF one. There is another one that all the parents know about where you basically put this thing in your child's nose and you suck the other end. No, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. And you suck. <laughs> and this child's sinuses drain. And it doesn't come into your mouth, thank goodness. It drains into another area. That sif little snot-nosed baby. I don't even know where my point was. That was so disgusting. <laughs> I grossed myself out. That's how we see ourselves with sin. We think God is so grossed out by my circumstance. God is so, so done with my filth that how would he want to be near me? But actually God is this incredible father that would come and suck the snolly right out your nose. Because he is the only one that can remove it from you. Because he is the only one that paid the price. And so actually, when you feel like your sin has pushed God away, that's when Jesus comes near to you because he's the only one that can help you. And it's like when you fall into sin, when you fall into patterns of sin, when you fall into habits that continue over and over, and you think God is doing this, He's actually drawing near to you and you're pushing Him away. But He's drawing near because all you have to do is say, Jesus, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And He comes in and He sets you free. But we feel so far from Him because we think, no, 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 no. But God is near to you. So the first thing this morning, if you feel far from God, I want you to know it could be, there is two options. And the one is, you have a snot nose. And He has the answer. If you will draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. James 4 verse 8. Come close to God. If you feel like God is far this morning, I want to tell you right now, come close to to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. When you feel far from God, very often it's because your loyalty is divided. The word that Eric shared, your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And when the world is your indicator that I'm far from God, then that is why you feel far from Him, because your loyalty is divided. If you don't feel like God hears your prayers or wants any involvement in your life, and there is sin in your life, I'd love to tell you this morning, the answer is so simple. Come to Him in repentance. Humble yourself, and God will draw near to you. The second one is if, if it feels like my world is falling apart, so the one is, if you have something, if you have a snot nose, sort it out. The second one is, if all my circumstances feel like God is not with me, He's far from me, do you know that we have an enemy? Do you know that? I've realized this, a lot of people don't actually believe this anymore. Do you know that there is an angel who was 
only under God and above every other angel. And his name was Lucifer. He was the angel. And I'm like, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing people are going, oh. No, guys, do you know that this is in church? People don't even preach about this anymore. And this angel fell because he had pride in his heart and he wanted to be like God. And so God cast him out of heaven. And they're not in this eternal battle where they're fighting and God's sometimes winning and the devil sometimes winning. No, no, no. He has been banished. And so he, and then God creates mankind in his image and in his likeness. And the devil can do nothing to hurt God, but he sees God's image, that which represents God on this earth. You and me. And do you know that then he does his best to hurt God by coming against us? Do you know this? And do you know that, and this, this is sometimes a revelation for people, how, how does the devil primarily attack you? It's not through flat tires. It's not through bounced debit orders. It's not through bad bosses. Uh, oppression, where the devil externally fights against you, that is like his weakest weapon. The Bible refers to the devil in this way. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And so all that the devil has to do is see your situation and sow a lie. And see your situation and sow a lie. And see your situation and sow a lie. The world is fallen because of sin. And so we all will go through a tough life. We all will face many hardships in our life. All of us. And the enemy will always sow seeds of doubt in times of hardship in a hope that it will grow. Because all that it takes is for a father figure to abandon you and him to sow a lie. You see, that's how God is. God calls himself a father. Look what your father did. God's the same. And all you have to do is believe the lies of the enemy. You see, David didn't believe anything about his circumstance. Somehow, David's circumstance looked like God had abandoned him. Am I right? No? I would have thought so if I looked at David's life. I remember going to Africa once, and the guy was like, hey, listen, um... You're coming to preach. This is amazing. Can I have a, a picture of you to put up as like a poster all around town? And I was like, oh boy, no. Like, so I was stalling. And so what he did was he went onto my Facebook when I had one. Don't have Facebook anymore. That's for old people. He went onto my Facebook. I'm not old. I'm denying it. He went onto my Facebook and he wanted to find a picture that looked like prosperity. Because in Africa, the mindset can be, if you follow God, your life must look like you follow God. I want to see it in what you wear. I want to see it in what you drive. I want to see it in where you live. Whereas in the West, we want to keep the pastor very poor. We want to make sure he looks poor. <laughs> and so he went into my Facebook and he found the one picture of a suit that he could find of me. It was my wedding day. My wife and I, we, we got married under tough times, and so we didn't have an amazing photographer. And so the only picture of me in a suit 
was me with my mother standing like this. So this guy goes onto my Facebook profile. He takes a picture of me and my mom, and he plasters up all over town. Guest preacher coming to town. And I looked at it, I was like, oh boy. Because there is this belief that if you look prosperous, God is with you. And if you don't, he's not. That's a lie. This morning, most of you come in here, well, all of us, literally, and we cover our shame. It's from the garden days. We cover our nakedness. You actively get up and choose what you're going to wear today. For me, it's not hard. I have one palette. I just choose anything closest to black. You put that on, you cover your nakedness, and you come and present yourself to people. Do you know that we do the exact same thing in our hearts? We cover our nakedness. We cover our brokenness. We cover our... We, we come to church and we put our best foot forward so that we look the... We, because we all assume that if it looks prosperous, it's near to God, it's doing well, it's thriving, it's succeeding. And I want to tell you that that is a lie from the enemy that makes everybody else who watches your Facebook status and sees that you're hashtag blessed, hashtag loving life, hashtag holidays all year long. Actually, everybody is going through a very difficult time and nobody's circumstances look amazing and everybody is having to pull into Jesus to find strength to get through the day and instead we try and cover it up because we want to look like it and the devil just needs you to believe that. He just needs you to fall for the trick that says doing well equals close to God. And I want to say you can come in this morning in the worst possible place, almost like a delusional man drooling, foaming at the mouth, pawing at the door, and God is near to you. Can I tell you why God was doing this in David? Can I tell you why your circumstance can look like you're completely not prospering? It just feels terrible. Because do you know that Israel asked God for a king, so he gave them a king. And that king failed miserably. And so the Lord loved his people so much that he undertook to fashion them a king after his own heart. And so the Lord chose this little shepherd boy because he knew that this little shepherd boy, he's got krach. He's going to hang on. He's going to be a little staffy that bites and doesn't let go. And he's going to go through all of this. And in the process, God is going to make him a king. And he's going to put a character inside of him. And he's going to put a deposit inside of him. And he's going to give him a perseverance. And the, and the New Testament speaks about that God is going to, our trials produce something inside of us. And that thing that it produces inside of us is more precious than gold. So the Lord sees your life and he sees your faith. And He loves you. He, please do not feel, if you feel far from God, I want you to, there is a lie that says, God doesn't love me. And I tell you the truth is, God loves you this morning. He's near to you. He loves you. Holy Spirit, could you right now, for anyone feeling like the Lord doesn't love them and He's not with them, could you reaffirm this by your power? Because it's just words without power. Would you pour your love on us this morning?
The Lord loves you and He's near to you. But in this hardship that you're facing, in this hardship you're facing, there is a purpose that He is forming inside of you. There is a plan that He has for you. There is a calling from that moment that He called you to follow Him when you saw Him for the first time. There is a plan in your life that He wants to bring to fulfillment and it requires you needing to be like a staffy and go through all of this. And there's a few things I'd like us to respond to this morning. If, the, if it's you, this is super important. Don't, and I want to reiterate this, don't miss a moment when God does something. You don't have to be stuck the way you are right now. Do you know that everything can change in a moment? And all it takes is your perspective to change. All it takes is for you to stop believing the lie and for you to see the truth. And so the first one I'm going to ask for is, when, we, when I pray for us, I want to ask if, if, if there is stuff that you need to repent of, that is, that is, if you have a snot nose that needs dealing with, and you need the Lord to come and help you, please take this moment when we respond to respond and repent. Ask Him to forgive you. He loves you. He's the only one that can help you today. Nobody else here can help you. I can't help you. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Ask Him for forgiveness. And let Him wash over you. The second part is some of us have bitten into the lie and we've, we've watered that thing. And, and so for some of us, we've believed things like God is far from me. Maybe this happened in my life or that happened in my life, but God is not near me. I don't feel Him. He's not close by. And I'm going to pray for us that today we would renounce that lie, that we wouldn't partner with the lie that has been given to us that says that I'm far from God. I'm not. All I have to do is draw near to Him. And as I draw near to Him, He will draw near to me. And so if, if other one of those two things, if you want to respond to them, maybe you can lift your hands and I'm going to pray for us. So I want to pray, Lord Jesus, where any lie has come in, where any of us might believe, like I'm God's not, I'm, it's not, I'm not there. It's, it's like I'm, I'm just not right where I should be. He's not close to where I am right now. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, would you break that lie and would you come and show them the truth that God is near to us. That God is near to us. Father, and I pray and also respond if you need to repent of stuff. I pray, Lord Jesus, where we come in repentance. I wanna I wanna remind you of this. Because I, I've, when Jonathan was here, it's one of the things that I saw in him. I want to remind you of this. That if you don't repent, you are not forgiven. Freedom is at your door this morning. You have to be bold enough to ask him for it. He's done everything. And I would hate for you to leave here in your heart thinking that because you associated yourself with a repentance prayer that you've repented. Um, that won't change your life. 
What will change your life is if you ask God, if you say to Him, God, I'm sorry. Could you forgive me? Could you wash me with your forgiveness? Could you give me your grace and your mercy? So I want to ask again, if if you would like me to pray that with you, and I'm going to pray that, we're going to repeat. And if do business with God, don't miss this moment. There's nothing that He can't forgive. And so, Father, we come right now. And so you can repeat after me. Lord Jesus, this is if you're a Christian or not a Christian. We, I, I want to emphasize, this is not a salvation prayer. The Christians are like, I don't want people to think I'm not a Christian. No, this is for all of us. If you want to repent, Lord Jesus, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry where I've fallen short. I'm so sorry where I've fallen into this sin. Would you forgive me? Would you wash it away from me? Would you cleanse me? Would you help me? Would you give me your Holy Spirit so that I don't have to live like this anymore? And God, would you draw near to me? Amen. I want you to know that as you do that this morning, you're forgiven. You might have come in here with a trailer of baggage. And when you pray that prayer, you are forgiven. It's removed. You don't leave with the same baggage that you came in with. It did something inside of you. You need to process that. You need to speak to someone. You need to ask someone. You need to, you need to bring that into the light. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself biting into that seed again, that lie. Live. Live like you've been forgiven. That's what it is to be a Christian, to live as those who are forgiven. Secondly, Lord Jesus, I want to pray for anyone that has believed this lie that God is far from me because of my circumstances. That there are those here who are going through very difficult things financially, relationally, at work, at home, chaos, turmoil, relationships, children, chaos everywhere. And I pray, Lord Jesus, would you show them the truth right now that in this situation, you are near to them and you are with them, Lord Jesus. That we can boldly come before you as those who've been forgiven and we can say, God, would you be near to me? Please, I need you. 